0: Coming up on today's episode.
1: I feel like I'm a much better person today. And some people don't like when they say that, but when you say cancer was or is, it's the best thing that happened to me.
0: Welcome to the I Am Healing podcast. My name is Bethany Larson, and I'm here to explore ideas around true health and happiness. Each week, I bring you a story of healing to encourage and inspire us both as we move forward along our own journeys. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with me. I am truly grateful to know that this path is filled with so many beautiful souls. If you find this episode inspiring, please help me spread the message by either sending it to a friend or sharing on social. And if you haven't already, I'd love if you took a moment to subscribe wherever you're listening and leave a rating and review to let me know what you thought, and to help others find us we're searching for hope and inspiration Today on the I am healing podcast it's episode number 2 with Sheila Zito who shares her story about how she overcame cancer not just once but twice In this episode we'll be talking about how an unhealthy marriage can affect your physical health going through cancer as a mother with young children the impact an empowered mindset has on your healing, the importance of living in the present moment, and so much more. I am so excited to have you here with me today and being on the first podcast or the first episode of this podcast. Welcome. I'm so glad to have you. Bethany,
1: thank you so much for the honor and the privilege of not only talking to you, but to be the first on your podcast. This is really, truly an honor, and I'm thrilled with this And uh, to help you and just to do good to the world, because that's what we're here for, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think, I don't know if I ever told you this, but the moment I heard your story, I I think I just figured out that I wanted to do this podcast. And I was like, wow, she has to be on my podcast. <laughs> oh
1: my goodness, I didn't know that. Yeah. Thank you so much. You see, sometimes we hide ourselves embarrassed of our story, or our past, and we don't know how much it can inspire others, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely, definitely. So let's, let's share your story. I want to start off by first having you explain um, just how your story happened and how you first found out about having cancer. So
1: my story begins uh, that I like. Um, I wasn't a loved child. Uh, I felt like my parents never liked me. And I learned later that uh, my mother thought my father was having an affair by the time she got pregnant. So she kind of didn't want me. And uh, somehow I always felt that. But I always uh, seemed to be very strong And uh, I have an older sister, a younger brother. And being the mid-child, I thought, whatever, I was okay. Life wasn't very easy, but it was okay. My father was very strict with us. And uh, so when I I was always questioning everything. I was never in agreement with uh, how things should be, according to him. And um, so I met somebody and... uh, And then I felt like it was my way to get out because my father had a very difficult childhood and all that. And uh, so his ways of seeing life, I was not in agreement with. And um, and my father, because he knew something about me uh, that I had uh, told my mother, uh, he felt like I should marry this guy because... He accept, accepted me as I was. And his mind, I was damaged. And uh, so I got married very young. I was 23. Wow. And uh, and I had my first son at 25. And uh, I remember waking up the day that I was 30. And it was my birthday. And I realized how unhappy I was. I I was in a place I didn't want to be. I... My husband was very difficult. He had uh, like a dual personality. And um, and there were so many things. He was carrying things from previous relationships. So it was very difficult. So I remember waking up that day and I just rolled out, out of bed and I knee down and I prayed for a change. I was expecting my second son. And uh, so this was January year 2000. I guess God uh, heard me because, uh, so in October, uh, sorry, in June, my son was born. In October, I found out I had melanoma. And um, I didn't, it didn't ring the bell to me what happened. God was trying to tell me. I talk a lot about God because to me, it's all about God, about faith and whatever people call the universe, energy, whatever, to me, I call God, and so I felt like he really was trying to tell me something, and I wasn't paying attention, so December, the same year, I got another melanoma. So the and, first uh,
0: one, did in you, October, you go through treatments for it and everything? I,
1: I, there was a lot of surgeries involved, uh, lots of um, um, uh, imaging, and uh, and there were no treatment back then for that. It was just removing the parts that are bad. Um, so that's what I did. And uh, and I kept going back to the hospital because they start finding a lot of things in my body. And it always removing, removing, removing. And, uh, but I was so busy. I had a baby. Um, the hardest part for me, and that moment, it wasn't the cancer. It was that I had to stop nursing my baby. Because I have my first son, I I nursed him until he was one. And then I made a conscious decision to stop because I thought, I don't want to be those moms that are carrying, you know, the little boy around He's still nursing. So my second son, I had the same idea for him. But so he was four months when i had to stop but he was a very big baby god it was so good to me because he sent him like a giant to me he was four months but he looked like a nine months his baby okay. so he was super healthy yeah and the day that the doctors told me uh you're not gonna be able to nurse your babe again and uh i said oh no no i will wait and then and then when we could, because they, they gave me some injections, some radioactive material.
0: Oh, okay.
1: That it was not gonna be good. They said, no, no, I'll let it, I'll wait until it goes down in my body. And, and they said, no, mother, you've already nursed your baby for the last time. So that was my my uh, most difficult pain back then because I don't know, I guess it was there was a bound there that I felt like it was. Be broken and right without your will. Yeah, exactly, and and I, I I couldn't even because it was in my right arm. I couldn't hold my baby for so long. I couldn't bathe him. I couldn't change him. I couldn't. So it was it was a very difficult disruption for me. But I overcame that. Thank God, and and it was okay. It was good. So. I kept going on with my life and just going back to the cancer hospital. And there's so many details in that story, but I, I, yeah, we can talk for the whole day here. Um, but uh, so two years later, I, I had an episode that I felt uh, something in my brain happen in something so that I think
0: Yeah. I'm curious. So up before this, two years later, was everything, did everything seem fine? You went through the surgeries to get rid of the melanoma and I,
1: I, yeah, I removed everything that had to be removed. And, and as I was mentioned, I was always going back to the hospital and doing more surgeries and more surgeries and more surgeries and more surgeries. I felt like every week I was doing a surgery because what happens is I don't know how things are today back then. And I'm talking about Brazil year 2000 and then 2001 and 2002 so every time that they had something I was the first case that had multiple melanomas so and I have a lot of moles in my body and every time they saw something new or they asked me if it was something different to let them know but they were examining me like every three months or something so I was in the magazines. I was being interviewed by the, the news because my doctor wanted to bring my case to, to uh, um, the health organization because it was the first. And so it was everything was different. And I had no idea what was going on with me. I was just going through surgery. And uh, another hard thing was I was the only person working in my house. So... I was living in this 40 square meters apartment. I don't know if you have an idea what that is. It's a little bigger than my office today. And it was my husband, his elderly mother. She was 70, almost eight years old. And, uh, and my boy, my two boys and my husband, he didn't work. Um, so I was the only person working. So I, I was very busy trying to, make ends meet for the family I felt like I was the only adult in the house and and going through all this so if it was very normal that I had to leave work earlier because of this or because of a surgery or because of procedure or because of an a, a imaging or because of whatever it was so it was very challenging for me so um so when two years passed and I had this episode that I felt um, was almost like a, I don't want to say it was a convulsion. And I had a feeling like everything kind of disappeared. Like it was like an a, um, a episode of like a blank. I don't know how to explain that. Everything became so light and I did not understand. It was almost like I walked away from life. I just don't know how, how to explain that. But then I, I, what I did, I was always at the hospital. So I told them that, um, what happened. So they were desperate. They wanted to scan me, you know, head to toe and, uh, and there were sophisticated machines back then that they just came up with. And, uh, so I remember I went through this, uh, uh, a nuclear area it was the name in the hospital new nuclear imaging and uh, and they tied me in a machine for two hours and a half i couldn't move
0: oh, because
1: couldn't move. because the way things were done there then it was because they were taking images and like cutting you in you know like the, the, like a uh, tomography like a mri right but yeah. things things were different there, they are today right so I couldn't move and this machine was rolling 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 and then passing back and forth back and forth back and forth it was like torture for me because I couldn't get up I couldn't so little things like that they were so hard they start becoming so hard like drawing blood from you every week it's, it gets to a point that it's not the physical part it's like it's a pain in your soul, you know. You 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 really start looking at yourself and what's happening to your body. And and I guess I guess I feel sorry for that person, you know, because it wasn't easy to go through all that. I wasn't mature. I was in my 30s, I was 32. So my marriage—it was not a person that I could count on or anything. I was very unhappy, and uh, he started telling everybody that I had cancer, I was going to die. All his friends and my boys—your mother's going to die. She has cancer.
0: So it was—it um, was so hard. Is that what your doctors were telling you too? Or did your husband just start saying? No,
1: no. So the doctors, um, they didn't know. They, They, what they say was, they said was, first of all, melanoma is the only cancer that we don't know how it behaves. There's no prediction. There is no prognostic. We don't know. It can never come back or it can come back 10, 15 years from now, or it's the most devastating type of cancer. It can go to your brain, to your bones, to your liver, to your lungs. (laughs) It's like, and, and when I learned all this, uh, it was like when I first heard of the news. So there are three types of cancer. There is the basal, there is the, uh, I don't know how you say here, we call it spinal cell. I don't know how you call it here in the US. And the melanoma. And melanoma is divided in, in three types. One, a blast cell, one, two, and three. Mine was three. My face was the three. So it was like, it was the worst of the worst. It was so... So only survive. Stage, stages, so stage three? Stage three. It was a stage three melanoma. Yeah. And uh, and nobody in stage four makes it. So, and they were like, just a few for stage three make it. And I'm like, so you could just start getting used to all this new thing, you know? Uh, so in my mind, it was like, okay, it's probably already in my head and in my lungs, because that's, I felt something in, in my head and I felt something that I couldn't breathe or like everything disappeared. So when we did the imaging, uh, we came back and, uh, and they found 10 nodules in my lungs. And uh, when I heard those news, to me it was like, um, this is it, it's my turn. And um, so I remember going to the doctor, and the doctor said, um, "Oh, we don't know if it's cancer. We don't know. You, I, we should just wait." And in my mind was like, "No, I mean it is." And I I I told myself it is.
0: Yeah, you yeah. made the decision even before
1: the doctors had told you. It's him. a meta. In my mind, it was a metastasis, and and it was it. It was it. And uh, he said, "Oh, how about we wait six months? Is repeat the the imaging and all that, and see what happens." And I told him, "I'm not going to be alive in six months." so that was my that was my my attitude. Yeah, and uh, and then. He said, how about three months? Is this three months is better for you? In my mind, was like, okay, yeah, three months is, yeah, I, I want to take pictures with my boys because they, they don't have a memory with me and they're not going to remember me. I've never seen dolphins in my life and I want to see dolphins and I need to organize my documentation and then I'll be okay. Yeah, three months is, is okay. So that was my self-talk. Mm-hmm. Completely crazy, insane when I think back. So I started my farewell journey. I started, I was doing an MBA program back then. And I went and talked to the administration and said, I can't continue because I'm going to die. It's funny to say today because it's just how immature. But I guess so weird to some people, you know?
0: I mean, I guess I wouldn't consider it immature. Like your feelings, everybody's feelings are completely valid.
1: Yes, so yeah that was real the feelings were real and uh, I remember talking to my friends in the MBA we are just 20 25 and everybody looked at me like they didn't know what to tell me they didn't know what to do they didn't want me to stop and they said um, um, why don't you why don't you just keep coming and and why are you alive and they said, oh, but I have so many surgeries. I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't have to have to do anything. And they said, oh, but just come. We want to see you. And in the administration, the course said uh, it was very expensive every month. And they said, uh, why don't we hold down on the payments while you're going through this treatment and all that? And um, and then we talk again later. Oh. And I was like, Okay. Okay, because then I didn't, I I still had something to look for, you know, instead of just working, going home and getting into that poisoned environment that I was in, right? Because my house was. And another thing that I didn't mention when I got married, I was convinced by my husband that nobody loved me Mm -hmm. and nobody accepted me. My parents didn't like me, they never did and um and i believed so i moved away from everybody so i had no one no one so it was very lonely for me everything i had were my boys and the crazy love that he said he had for me right. but yes so i told my husband we are going on a trip because i'm gonna die and i need to take pictures with the boys and So I scheduled a trip and he never wanted us to do anything or he believed any money that we had, I should give him because he was going to start some business or something. And it was a tragedy. So, but this time he didn't say anything. He was like, okay. So we went on this trip and um, it was just one week in a, in a, in somewhere in Brazil that is called Natal. Which is like Christmas, <laughs> uh, See if you translate. Yeah, but it's it's just very nice uh, beaches, and they have the mount a kind of um, uh, mountains of sand. I don't know how you call this here. Uh, it was a beautiful place.
0: Oh, sand dunes. Yes,
1: yeah, sand dunes. Yes. So we we went there, but we we knew someone in this place, so. I told my husband, we are going to go to this place and spend time together. We got there, got in the hotel. He called somebody and he did not spend any minute with me. So we just- and uh, yeah, so it was just myself and the boys. And um, and I enjoy with the boys, but, you know, there were no selfies back then. And so I didn't. <laughs> we did not take pictures together, really. Uh, but i saw dolphins and i guess somebody took a picture or something um and then we came back and then and then i was ready to go i i organized all the paperwork in my house the documentations and everything and so when i went back to the hospital I remember I left work, left earlier to go to see my doctor and I got there to see the doctor and the doctor uh, just got the, uh, the exams and, and then we saw, it wasn't, they were not 10 nodules, they were 20. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and to me it was, see, I told you, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, so I went home just feeling, um, that is it, I'm ready. I had detached myself from everything, from everyone. Even though the boys were there, I was not seeing them anymore. I was not involved. I was not allowing myself to, to be Because I felt like I did not belong anymore. Like the whole world knew I was going to die. So I didn't want to create any hope for anybody or maybe myself either. And um, so I remember getting to the apartment and opening the door. And there were uh, like a couple of blankets on on the floor. It was tile, very cold. So... We just there is no heating or air conditioning there, just in the houses, it's just it is what it is. Um, and um, so this was all around kind of June 20, 2002, sorry, 2002. And uh, so I opened the door, I walked, the boys were playing, uh, there were a couple of blankets on the floor, and they were playing together, and uh, I just passed. Just going to my bedroom, and and then I heard my oldest saying um, something like, uh, "No, that's not how you do it. It's just like this teaching. So my young was two, and he was seven, and uh, and then that voice just did something to me. I stopped, like at the end of my living room, and just turned. And, and when I turned, when I turned, I saw this light coming from above towards them. And this apartment was on the ground floor. There were no windows, there were nothing there. It's just this light coming over them. And, uh, and what I heard was like angels singing. Their voice transformed in this, I can't explain the melody, the, this, the sound. It was so heavenly to me. And I look at them, I didn't say anything, but I heard within something screaming, giving up on being with my boys, and, being every day with them, witnessing them, doing things, playing with them, going to school, graduating, having girlfriends and jobs. And no, I want to be here. I want to be part of their lives. And uh, in that moment, everything changed. Everything changed It was like I became so strong, and I was so powerful. I felt like if I wanted to turn the whole building down, I could. I I felt so, it wasn't me. It was something so uh, heavenly. I just, I I can't explain what it was. And uh, I just accepted it, and everything changed at that very moment. No matter what it was that I had to go through, if it was surgery, if it was a treatment, if I have to follow up in a few months again, whatever it was. And even if I I had to go through this or to do that, the doctor said you have to relearn how to breathe. Whatever I have to go through, God help me. Because I will, no matter what it is, I'm going to hear from this. And, uh, so everything changed that
0: moment. I, I. Wow. What an experience. I mean, so how did you, did that feeling stay with you afterwards? And how did that start affecting everything after? I became,
1: I felt like I was invincible. I felt it wasn't me or, or maybe it was me. I felt like there was something within me that was, it's almost like, you know, maybe a car without a gas. And and then you put the gas, the best gas in the gas station. Now the car is pumped. It's just kind of ready to go. And it, that's how it felt like I had all this energy. And and and, and then I I started doing a, a therapy and, um, and then they sent me to a psychiatrist because I was really in a bad place. Really. I mean, the whole journey, those months, I was so depressed. I was so low, so down. Um, it was very hard for me. And um, so they sent me to the psychiatrist and to therapy. And And I remember going to the psychiatrist and uh, my my ex-husband, he wanted to get inside with me and to the office. And mm-hmm. and then I can only say things that I can say, you know, when the person that, I'm, I don't want to blame him, but there was a lot of oppression that I was suffering that I believe I have developed some things because of the life I was experiencing. I believe I did that to me. And, so I was just doing this, and then there was one day that the psychiatrist said, I am sorry, but you're not allowed to come in
0: anymore. Uh, husband.
1: Yes. And uh, he said, Why? Does she have somebody else that I cannot know? And, and that's this craziness in his mind, right? And, and she said, No, because she's my patient, and uh, she's here because of her condition and because of the cancer, and she needs to be alone. And, um, so she, because I couldn't, I couldn't tell him, don't come with me. I couldn't, it was too much for me to have to face that. Uh, is she, at the end, I had to tell him everything that I told her, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the kind of life I was living. Mm -hmm. But, um, so I remember she telling me, your problem is not the cancer. You know what their problem is, and and I knew we never talk about him or anything like that. But I knew, and um, so even before when I was pregnant of my son, my my second son, I didn't know I wanted to be married anymore, and. but I wanted to have another son. It was my kind of life's purpose. I felt like I wanted to have one son at twenty-five, another one at thirty. And I did. He was the guy that was with me. I, I did not understand things the way I do today. So those are decisions I made. So my marriage I knew, you know, I was I was there because I felt it was something sacred, and I couldn't dissolve because it wasn't up to me. According to my religious values, I, I had to stay in that situation. And uh, so, when I start going talk to some priests, I'm Catholic, so we're born with guilty. And uh, <laughs> and I don't know if people relate to this, but um, so I talked to a priest, and he said, uh, "My daughter." God doesn't want you to suffer. God doesn't want his kids to go through what you're going through. You can't do this. And, uh, and I was like, no, there must be a way. And uh, there is, is there any kind of counselor at the church that it can help save my marriage or anything like that? And then, and then they helped me. They brought people and, and I went with my then husband and. the, uh, it was so obvious to everybody, to everybody. First time they met this person, they were like, I'm sorry, but there is no way for you to do this for him. And and I didn't want them to say that because I was the one suffering the consequences of things. Right? Yeah. But anyway... I tried and I tried and I tried and one priest and another priest and another, something we call Monsignor. There was a guy, there was, he's uh, above the priest and he was also a counselor at the church. Every single one of them said, Live this guy before some tragedy happens. They were church, like important true. people. Yeah, and and I was like, okay. So, and we tried one more time, brought the twist to our home, to bless the home and whatever. And they, they agreed. They said, forget it. So I tried to do everything the nice way. You know, like let's separate, let's do this. You see the boys here and then. I tried to do everything nicely and um, it didn't work. So things were very dramatic um, a couple of years later. Uh, I was working a lot. I changed my job. I was let go in the job that I had and I started a new company. So about this one, um, I, I was let go in this company in my, my ex-husband, he went to the ranch with the boys. I was going to start vacation and going, join them. And, um, so just before my vacation starts, the company, there was a company exhibition and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And they told me, it's it's it. It's. But they gave me like a big bonus, was like $120,000. Oh, wow. Because we love you. We just don't want you to go, but it's just part of the process. Okay. Yeah. So in my mind, the moment I was being let go, I made a whole escape plan it, this was two years later um, the t- 2004 so I said okay I'm gonna tell sit again
0: you plan to leave your husband then
1: yes so I I told myself I'm gonna lie to him
0: but because I don't
1: lie because my integrity is I I don't lie I always say the truth yeah. so I called him, and left a message in his cell phone because I knew there were no cell phone coverage there. Telling him everything. And and I told him I was like, oh, I was join him because I need to start looking for a new job and blah, blah, blah. But in my mind was, I'm going to get the money. I'm going to face whatever debt we have. Because he was really, we were about to go bankrupt, just to give an idea. And I used to make a lot of money. Just because I wasn't taking care of bills or anything. I was giving out to him because he said, oh, you're too busy with work, live with me, I'll take care. He wasn't taking care of anything. So I decided to face that and all that. And um, so I I told him that... uh, Oh, my vacation was canceled. There is a project that I need to work on. So I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to be able to meet you. And I'll meet you on the weekend or something like that. So and I started updating resumes, doing all that stuff. And then uh, and then I when I joined him, I told him what, what happened and that I no longer wanted to be with him because this wasn't working and... Uh, and uh, he begged me to stay. He was going to change. He was going to do everything he could. And uh, we talked like for eight hours in the car under a tree in 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 the country. It was just and we tried, and of course it didn't work. So I told him that I was I he wasn't working and. And I said, I'm going to tell my family that we are separating. This was after six months or so. And we used to pray the rosary every week with my family, and he never joined us. And that week, he joined us because I told him I was going to tell my family. My family never knew that I was going through anything, or maybe they did. I don't know. And I said...
0: They had no idea?
1: I never said anything. I was always. I felt like, as a perfect wife, I should love my husband. And whatever it was, it was on me, right?
0: right? Yeah, but the so, cancer. Like, did they know about the cancer as well? Or
1: yeah, they knew about the cancer. They knew about the cancer, and they thought that I needed him to take care of me. Mm. So they were worried that if I didn't have a husband, they probably they would have to take care of me. Right, but he was not taking care of me. It was just the illusion that we create. Yeah. So, um, so uh, we prayed, and I told them that um, this wasn't working. it wasn't being healthy for me, or for him, or for the boys, or for anybody. That we wanted to end this in a nice way, so we could stay good because of the kids. And this person became like a baby begging and you know my family and and everybody was looking at me like I was the witch of us like was the worst person on earth how can I do this to this person he's such a good person not a poor thing and I was the worst person and they told me as a Christian as this and this and that, you need to take care of him And so I did so it was a whole other year going through this. Um, and I started a new job. I got a new job. And that's when I told my family that I've been unemployed for three months. Um, but then again, I got a new job in, the, in a management position. It was a lot of responsibilities. and um, And then uh, I was working a lot in this company days and nights. Because I, w- I had a team that was 24-7. So I was managing people everywhere in the world. So it was very difficult for me. Um, but I did it. He would call me at my desk. Because he did not believe I was at work. Just how his mind was.
0: Yeah. Wow. So controlling.
1: Yes. But it's okay. So anyway. So there was we had a big project there. Uh, and it was like until, I don't know, 3 a.m. in the morning, we had to roll over servers. I used to work in IT, information technology. So things were kind of, you know, that's when company can shut down when everybody's sleeping. So that's that's how things were. And I was managing all that. So, so we had this big implementation and it was a success. Uh, it was telecommunication, the biggest provider back there in Brazil. And uh, so I told him that after this, uh, we are going to do and celebrate and he said no you're not and I said yes I am so that day I really decided that I'm doing this because I'm working until whatever time and um, So this other day we were going to celebrate and I will be part of that because I'm only there for the hard part and I'm never for what company give us back. So we went to this place. It was just dinner or whatever it was. And I came home like 1 a.m. in the morning or something. And as I got there, he opened the door of the apartment and he started screaming, all names you have no idea that I was, that I was doing this and this and that with whoever was in his imagination. And uh, and he said, you're never going to see the kids again. And uh, I just walked out of there, like my head down, and I went back to the car. And I thought, he's just nervous. He's going to be better in the morning. He's going to be okay. I was used to that. So... uh, I got to the car, locked the door, start praying to calm him down. Everything's okay. And um, so he followed me to the car. And uh, one minute, he was like, please open the door. Let's talk. And next second, he was like shaking the car, like, I'm going to kill you. At the moment I get there, I'm going to. So he was, um, he was very dramatic. So he said that, uh, you know, you're hiding there. I'm going to go get the extra key that we have in the house. And I'm going to get you. So he started walking back to the apartment. And when I saw that he kind of disappeared, he was a condominium with many buildings in a very low class place. And uh, when I saw that he disappeared, I turned the car on. And um, I haven't talked to my family after the rosary episode for so long. This was like I don't know what time, the middle of the night, and I called my mother's house and I my father answered and I said, please open the gate. We had like big gates, you know, lock it. Open the gates because he's chasing me. I don't know what he's gonna do. And uh it was very close. We used to live close even though we're not participating in each other's lives.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I got there, I sparked the car. In a run upstairs and hidden myself there. And my father said, if he comes inside, I'm going to kill him. So that was the situation. So he went there. He opened the gate. He had the keys. And uh, and there was... But my car was not inside the garage. It was like the outside. and uh, And my father said, if he comes inside the house... I was just gonna kill him. And and then I called the police because I didn't want to see a tragedy. So as I got there, I called the police. And in Brazil, he was just like that. I said, My husband, my husband is chasing me. He said he's gonna kill me. I'm sorry, ma'am, I cannot hear you. No. And, and then and he's like a red in the house, and he said, Where are you? What's your name? And I'm telling the name and they cannot understand the name. They don't know where I am. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I just kind of hung up the phone. There was no such a thing as 911 or anything like that. So anyway, thank God he put the keys inside the door. I mean, in the door to open the door, but he removed and walked away and uh thank god so next day i i talked to my attorney that i was talking already for a very long time that we were trying to do things in the, the good way and i told him what happened and he said no you're gonna go there i'm gonna send somebody with you and you're gonna get your kids your personal belongings and so that's what happened the following day and um it's a very long story i'm sorry um I took no, too
0: long I here. But, <laughs> no, but I think it's really important that you shared all of that story because it's. I think it's important for people to realize that the physical issues, that the physical dis-ease in our body isn't just because it's all of a sudden just there. There's so many other factors exactly. coming from that. And so that is all part of your healing journey is realizing and coming to terms that you needed to get away from the situation that was causing all of this stress in your body. Um, exactly. Really yes. important. Um, so I'm curious, did it, the time frame, just to wrap up um, this part of it, the time frame when you had that moment where you felt that power inside of you like you could do anything, you were invincible, how? Because that was that happened before all of this ended up being resolved with your ex-husband. Did you start seeing healing from that moment then or how did that wrap up with the cancer? So
1: after that moment the whole cancer situation it was it became just one of the areas of my life. Because before that it felt like it was it became the main thing. It was the only thing I was focusing on and in that moment what happened was okay I see an eye doctor, I see a dentist, I'm gonna see an oncologist. And it wasn't one oncologist. So now it was the lung doctor, He was the, the melanoma doctor, and it was the other whatever it was, you know. So I just start seeing, I may I guess I made a conscious decision that there was gonna be just one or more thing that I had to take care of in my life. Right, and was- I because I diminished, you know, I reduced the, the importance of it. And I decided to really start making choices based on what was important to me. And I did what I had to do, like I have to do with the surgery. It didn't stop. The surgeries didn't stop. This whole thing didn't stop. But the way I was perceiving them, it was different.
0: Mm, okay. and
1: yeah it wasn't it was yeah it was just like one area of my life you know if you think of uh, many different areas we have there was one more thing i had to deal with mm-hmm. and that's
0: so, um, how. yeah um so how long after that did it take for the cancer and the melanoma to be completely gone so i was
1: because melanoma there is no... Uh, they don't call remission. They don't call cure. They don't call any of this. Uh, but I had another cancer. <laughs> so in 2008, I got a different cancer. Uh, this was in my thyroid. and mm. had nothing to do with melanoma, with anything like that. Um, and I felt like... Um, I knew it all. I'm now... I, after living with my mother, I was able to buy a place to live, be with my boys, and I was self-sufficient. I was feeling, I know it all, I'm imbitable, I am the queen of, you know, I was feeling very good about myself, about my life, about my job, and, uh, and then I was, I started having a relationship, and uh, there was a situation that was going, my relationship, that I was I couldn't put up anymore with, you know, like we say when. Uh, do you say you eat the frog? Do you have this expression? No, we don't. <laughs> yeah, we say that when you have to deal with something that's hard. We say in Brazil like you to eat the frog, you know. And I couldn't do that anymore. And oh, do you
0: happen? Oh, I think we call it bite the bullet.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that expression, but anyway. So I developed a cancer right here because I couldn't swallow that anymore. Mm. And then I was like, oh, I can't believe I did this again.
0: And um, when you, was that like this recognition that you had, uh, that you knew the physical connection to the, well, the external connection that you were experiencing in the stress to what was happening in your body?
1: Every time that was happening, the situation that I couldn't take it anymore, I felt like, I cannot think like that because if I do that, I'm going to develop another cancer. That was my self-talk. How crazy is that? Yeah. Guess what happened? I developed another cancer. So I it was much harder than I thought it would be because now I thought, I'll just go through surgery and like on Friday and Monday, I'm home back to work. You know, it was, yeah. So nah, no, it wasn't like that. So there was big, huge treatment that I had to go through and it was very difficult and I really needed people to help me. My mother had to come to help me and it was very, very difficult. And, um, I learned a lot of lessons on that one, and uh, but again, Bethany, I thought I knew it all, and now can I am the queen of cancers? I can survive any cancer; nobody can beat me, and um, and then I had to do something show up in my breast,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all unrelated. So when I had this thing in the breast it was so hard for me because I was finally feeling good about myself as a woman and uh, and this threatened that who I am, my physical body, my image, I'm finally liking the person that I became. I'm finally okay with who the, I look at the mirror and and then this came, and I had to go through surgery, and they removed all the stuff. And uh, when the results came back, it was like Christmas week. This was 2012, and the doctor said, uh, "Oh, there was nothing. Everything is okay. You was just, you was just uh, whatever." And to me, I was like, I walked there, like, I was numb. Like, I was so, it's cancer, it's cancer, it's cancer, it's cancer. Yeah. And I didn't ring the bell. It took me like a week to get it. It wasn't cancer. And uh, so, yeah, it was just so um, tremendous. The the way I see things today, I don't know what God has in store for me. I don't know what can happen or cannot happen. But what I know is that all that I learned in my life, in my journey, my story, I want to share with others because I don't want people to go through what I went through. And I want to show people that are going through this right now. I want them to know that they can be happy again. That this... Yeah, sometimes we have to go through some things, but you know, we can claim our life back. We can be back to life and be happy again. And I really want to share and show this to other people. And now I learn and study and look for information. And more I do there, more I realize how much I don't know.
0: Yeah, there's always something more to learn. But yeah, your story is so beautiful. It, it feels like, you know,
1: it, sometimes. It's like it was a process of purifying, becoming me humble, becoming me as to serve, to help. And because the person I used to be before that, he wasn't good when I look back. Of course, I didn't know things and I still don't. But I feel like I'm a much better person today. And some people don't like when I say that, but... What, when you say cancer was or yes, it's the best thing that happened to me because it transformed me in who in my true self, in connection with the divinity within me. And I believe in. it helped me find my purpose to help others and to help people because this is what life is about. That's how I see things today. And... Just It was such a blessing for me to go through everything and the way I see life now, every day, how grateful I am every time I open my eyes in the morning and I'm still here. No kidding, I open my eyes like, thank you, because it's like, it's real, I'm here one more time and I don't know what today's going to bring. So there is always this excitement. It's almost like my husband says, you don't need to have drugs ever in your life because you already live in that state of just so. I am so happy. I am so grateful. I'm so in connection with my spirituality in, in the God. So it's just everything is so
0: beautiful to me. Yeah, I feel like the way you say that too, that's you know, that you don't need drugs because like you're already <laughs> you're already on it with happiness. And I think, you know. <laughs> Drugs actually work a lot with our hormones Um, and like, you know, you could also just create that through energy, you know, changing your hormones to be more happy. And so, yeah, maybe, you know, happiness is a drug. And I think we all need to oftentimes go through a journey in order to find out to be happier. And our journeys are all different and, you know, in some more of a struggle than others, I'm sure. But I don't I think. It's, it's sometimes really hard to say. And I think it's amazing the way you can view it now and say that cancer was the best thing that happened to you because a lot of people would actually get really upset about something like that. I've said that about something I've experienced in my life, too. And the person is like, no, you can't say that. And I'm like, it's a perspective to have. And I don't know, like the perspective is what changes everything. Yeah, that thing was horrible. And the thing itself wasn't good, but the way you can take it and rewrap it can mean everything to you.
1: Yeah. And whatever we focus on increases. If all you think about is that, that becomes everything in your life, right? Mm -hmm. So when you change, you see, like you step back and you look in your life and all the areas, everybody, everything, the things you want to do. So many things we want to do and we don't do because we think, oh, I'll do tomorrow, next week, next year, whatever. We don't know how much you're going to be here. We don't know how much time we have. So here and now is the time. That's why I created my company. It's called Live It Fully Today because if not now, when? This is the only time we have that we got It's today, do that thing you want to do. Call the person you want to talk to. You know, be together, do the things you love and experience life and make decisions that make you happy. Use your imagination to fantasize about good things instead of being worrying about stuff that it's all fantasy anyway, right? So let's fantasize about the good stuff. You know, imagine we are good and healthy and wealthy and happy and fulfilled, even if we still sure are not, because we're gonna get there. Just set your GPS there, and <laughs> just keep going. If you get distracted, it's still gonna get take you there.
0: You know that vision GPS is everything. <laughs> yeah.
1: I know, yes. So that's what I use, and and I am truly happy and grateful, and and it's just. I see life different, and it's just um, it's a blessing. And yeah, it is having he it is today is is a present, right? So just let's enjoy the present that God
0: gave us. Definitely. And I was going to say you are probably going to be the easiest person I've ever interviewed. Obviously, you're my first one, <laughs> but I just you've answered all of my questions. I think it was the last one that I was um, or before I wrap up was gonna be, what What do you feel people need to know on their learning or healing journey? And would you, would you say that it's to live in the present? And not it, is, it is,
1: and I think one thing also that, uh, after I started helping people that are impacted by cancer, what I realized is that many people went through remission, they're healed, or they never had cancer. But somebody in their family did. So, what happens is that they put cancer in their head or they keep cancer there and they don't realize, but they manifest that. So, you get healed or you are in remission, but you keep the cancer in your head, it it will come back. We do this to ourselves. There is the law there are laws of vibration laws of perpetual transmutation of energy laws of, of attraction those things are real i didn't know that but this is true so many people they are healthy today oh no but my grandparents had this illness or my uncle had this and they're convinced they're gonna have guess what's gonna happen if you keep thinking about that that's what's gonna happen so just shift that. Change, see yourself healthy, see yourself well. Make the decisions how you want to be. Choose their self-image, how you see yourself today. Look at yourself in the future. How, what the person there is telling you today, it's going to be okay. It is you know? going to be okay. So just make choices that it's going to be okay, because it's going to be okay, no matter what happens.
0: Right. You're going to be okay. Yes, part of that is that perspective. That's so beautiful. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. I am so grateful for you for meeting you for everything and having you in my life. And I'm so excited for everybody to hear your story now. Um, So before we wrap up, and I'll ask you the final question, where can we find and connect with you on social media?
1: okay i am developing a website right now (laughs) and uh it's called the living fully community i hope we can uh, i can provide you the link and maybe you can add it to the podcast Mm -hmm. yes and uh and my brand is live fully today and you're gonna have find things there too um but yeah it was such a, a pleasure and an honor to be here Bethany you were such a beautiful soul and it's a privilege to be chosen you know and to be the first one and i know you're going to be a tremendous success when you're in the top 10 out there <laughs> and i i know it's going to happen i will remember this moment that it's just, i knew it i knew it and uh, yes you were you're going to be okay and and just with all your goals because it's such such a good person. Thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: Thank God bless you. Thank you so much, Sheila. And the final question I want to ask you today, what is your definition of health? How do you define health?
1: Oh, how I define health is to be, do everything that you want. Mm-hmm. There, it's, if you tell yourself uh, chocolate cake is bad for me, it's going to be bad for you. If you tell yourself, oh, I want chocolate cake, it's good for me. It's going to be good for you. So it's all about how you feel. This is the only life we got, and we got to live it fully. There are things here that were created that we need to witness, we need to do, we need to experience. So it's not about what everybody tells you. It's about what you tell yourself. How is having a healthy life? Oh, I want to sleep 12 hours. Oh, I want to sleep five hours is enough for me. Whatever it is, there is no right or wrong. There is no perfect body. It's what's perfect for you. Don't let anybody else set your standards. You are the captain of your... How do you say this expression? It's so beautiful. <laughs> yes, you are the captain of your ship. So... Just make the rules, decide the rules
0: and have fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope it brought your spirit up, sparked an aha moment or fueled curiosity around your growing idea of what it means to heal. If you'd like to listen to another episode of the I Am Healing podcast or connect with us on social, go ahead and check out the links below in the description. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening and share with a friend you think may resonate. And again, I'd love to hear your feedback, so share a quick review and let me know about any realizations you had or ideas that stood out to you the most about this episode. To end, I'd like to share a quote by James Nestor. If someone tells you something is impossible, go prove that it's not.